right. You'll find your seats. We're going to go to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. I know last week I said we would, uh, we're going to go through the whole chapter, and we did most of it, but we're going to use uh, verse 8 and 9. And I want to look tonight at uh, some distinct declarations that Jonah made for declarations in his prayer as he wraps it up and uh, focus on those. And then we will be halfway done with this series, at least by uh, as far as the text goes. But if you're in Jonah chapter 2, we'll read verse 8 and 9. He's in his prayer. Um, we talked about last week how Jonah prayed. He could have gotten angry, and a lot of people respond badly to the Lord's chastening, but Jonah did respond good and uh, prayed and praised. And look what he says here, verse 8, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed salvation is of the Lord. So it's almost like Jonah is rehearsing some of his sermon here in his prayer. And these declarations that Jonah is making show us that his prayer is not all about requests. Uh, you don't have to be making requests to be praying. And sometimes our prayers can be very selfish. We just talk about what we want and the things that we want to accomplish. Uh, prayer is thanksgiving as well as supplication. It is praise as well as request. And ultimately, prayer is recognizing God's will. Uh, we, don't, we don't pray to change God's uh, mind on something. We pray so that God may uh, change our minds and uh, into what we need to be. And so we limit the fruitfulness of our praying if we're just asking for stuff. Again, requests are good. Let your requests be made known unto God. That's a good thing. We need to ask the Lord for the... But, but it should be more than just that. There should be praise. There should be... Uh, other things as well. And Jonah made some declarations here that I want to talk about this evening. And, uh, well, let's just start breaking them down. The first one's the seduction declaration. The, he makes a statement here. It has to do with lying vanities. He said, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Lying vanities are philosophical inventions that men make to seduce themselves into sin. They're corrupt beliefs uh, of uh, that are created by the disobedient to justify their actions or their disobedience. It's the thinking that your actions will bring only reward instead of a, uh, a, a the destruction that sin always brings. Really, it's the foolish fantasies of the disobedient that deceives them into thinking that everything will be all right for them. It's the rationale that gives value to things of the flesh on a much greater scale than it gives any value to things of the Spirit. And we understand once you've got that, thing, that warped in your life and you put more value on things of the flesh than you do on things of the Spirit, then it's going to mess up every decision that you make in your life. So let's give some illustrations of lying vanities here. This part of Jonah's prayer it really represents a confession he had uh, followed his own lying vanities in his disobedience in fleeing from God, chapter 1, the first few verses. And he discovered by experience, which experience is that teacher that kills all his students in the end. Uh, experience is a, is a hard teacher, but Jonah learned from experience that it is a disastrous end to run from God. Now let's look at three lying vanities that he followed. The first one had to do with the retribution this says that you can sin 
and get away with it. That is a deceitful philosophy. Uh, yet many people embrace it. Doing what they want to do, uh, going the direction they want to go, um, going against God's commandment, doing their own thing. And even though many others have been ruined by, this, by sin, sometimes the same sin, uh, they feel that they are the exception. This lying vanity says it will be different for them. How many times have you had that conversation with your teenager? Uh, you can list all kinds of examples of how it was a disaster in someone else's life, but it's going to be different for me. But it isn't only teenagers that think that, it's adults as well. We, and this is a lying vanity. We, we take on this belief that uh, we will not suffer retribution, that we will be the exception. But Jonah was found out, and he paid for his sin. All sinners eventually learn that it is a lie that you can sin and get away with it. You just can't. Uh, be sure your sin will find you out. The second lying vanity that Jonah observed was uh, dealing with reality. Uh, this lying vanity tells you to ignore reality and it won't bother you. Uh, create your own reality. I'll give you an example. Jonah's fast asleep on the boat, ignoring the reality of the vicious storm that's attacking the ship. It's thundering on the ship, everybody's fighting for their life, and he is sleeping, just ignoring the troubles that are going on. Uh, ignoring reality is the very worst way to deal with it. It will not change the facts of what's going on. You have to recognize it, you have to address it properly, or it'll destroy you. I'll give you another reality that many, many, in fact, probably most people in our world ignore today, as it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. That's a reality, Hebrews 9.27. Uh, that is an absolute bedrock reality that most people ignore. And by ignoring it, does not exempt them from having to stand before God one day. And so disregarding that, that reality sends somebody to hell forever. And so we need to realize how important it is for us to uh, not just ignore it, the way that, that that's a lying vanity. The third lying vanity he followed concerned responsibility. It is the lie that you can run from your responsibilities and still enjoy the privileges of life. That's a, that, that lesson starts as, I don't know, it did for us anyway, as kids turn into teenagers. You start to teach responsibility and privilege, that balance. You can have some privileges, but it comes with responsibility. Our kids, different kids, got licenses at all different ages. Uh, one didn't until 19, another did at like 15, and all ages in between. And it all really depended on the responsibility that's attached to it. If a person's not willing to be responsible, then they will not get the privilege. And this is the same in, as we serve the Lord as well. Jonah was a prophet with the responsibility of delivering a message to Nineveh. That's what God told him to do. But he refused to do what God told him to do, refused to go to Nineveh. He forsook his responsibilities. And as a result, he soon lost his privileges. One privilege he lost was to be a passenger on the ship. That's a pretty big one. He was chucked overboard and uh, into, the, into the storm. Privilege only comes with responsibility. Now, this would be great if they taught this in school today, amen? And in and, and our university, that would be great if they taught some of this. You can't have privilege without responsibility. If you want the privilege of income, you've got to employ the responsibilities of work. It doesn't just come to you. If you want the privilege of knowledge, you've got to 
assume the responsibility of study. If you want the privilege of happiness, you have to assume the responsibility of doing right because uh, happiness is a byproduct of doing right. It's not something you seek and find. It's a byproduct. We love privileges, but we, as a society, we skimp out on the responsibilities. We have a generation today that loves the privilege of college, but when it comes to the loans that are provided at college, that's your and our responsibility to pay. They don't want the responsibility of paying the loans. They want somebody else to cover those loans. That's not the way life is, and so we need to understand that. And then there's a damage of lying vanities. Lying vanities are very damaging. We've already looked at some of the harm they can cause, but Jonah says the observance of lying vanities, look at verse 8, uh, where am I here? The, they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. This means they forsake the mercy that God intends for them. And can I tell you, friends, we have to have God's mercy. It's an absolute must in our life. So to follow lying vanities is to be cruel to yourself. It is to rob yourself of something that is necessary for your spiritual health. You may gain worldly admiration. You may gain fame and recognition. You may get fleshly pleasures. But nothing that you gain will ever compensate for your loss. Forsaking your own mercy cancels out any advantage that sin can give you or perceived advantage. That's a great price to pay. And what a price Jonah paid here. His short-term success was just that. It was very short-term. He soon lost all satisfaction from his rebellion. I mean, he had plans. He had grand plans. We always do. We always have grand plans when we want to go our own, own way. And uh, we think we're going to go do this. We're going to go do that. He had the uh, fare to the ship plan. He had his destination planned. And uh, he was going to go and do his own thing. And he soon lost that satisfaction. Moses realized this in Hebrews 11:25, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Uh, it goes on to say in the next verse, for he had recompense unto the reward. So really, this is a whole different message, but Jonas, uh, I mean, a Moses' choice there was pleasure or pleasure. That's the choice, and, and it's a pl- choice we all have. Uh, he had the pleasures of sin for a season, which is short. Uh, it is followed by misery, or he had recompense to the reward. He had the pleasure, uh, eternal pleasures of doing right, which are not always immediate, The pleasure for doing right doesn't come immediately. The pleasure of sin is immediate. It's a credit card. Sin is like a credit card. Play now, pay later. And doing right is the reverse. Sometimes you pay now and play later. Uh, And uh, doing right is more like investment. Sin is more like a credit card. Only the bill is more than any of us want to pay. All of this, this behooves us to build our life on the word of God, not on the lies of men. And it's a great use of words here, lying vanities, because that's exactly what they are. They're lies. We buy into the lies of the devil all the time. It's what rebellion is. All rebellion is, by the way, if you're raising kids, this will be a help to you. All that rebellion is, is believing a lie. That's all rebellion is. When a child or teenager rebels, uh, rather than deal with the rebellion as the rebellion, find out what the lie is. They're believing some kind of lie. Often it's I know what's best for me better than you do. That's a lie. Or you just want to make me miserable. That's a lie. But they believe that lie and it constitutes into rebellion. 
And when we believe that we know better for us than God knows, that's going to lead to rebellion if we believe that lie. So that's, it's, it's a great use of wording here. They that observe lying vanities. God's word is the one foundation that will never fail us. And we've got to build our, our life and our actions on something that lasts, not on something that deceives us, which is exactly what lying vanities do. Men's philosophies, those things will deceive us. Now, had Jonah just listened to God's word, he would have avoided all this trouble. He wouldn't be in the belly of a fish. He wouldn't have got thrown off the ship into a sea. He wouldn't be in trouble. Like many today, Jonah let others, uh, other things determine his actions rather than the word. And can I tell you this? Everyone, everyone in this room, everyone in this town, everyone in this state, and so on and so forth, everyone is controlled by some philosophy in their life. Somebody is controlling them. Some philosophy is. Uh, and you're either led by God. Ultimately, there's two. You're led by God or led by you. Th those are really the, the only two if you break them down. But we are led by a philosophy, and, and too often what controls our actions falls into this uh, falls into the category of lying vanities rather than God's truth. And why is that? Because to our flesh, lying vanities are often much more attractive. Uh, immediate pleasure. Uh, which, which, is, which is better if we just bring it right down to brass tacks? If, you're, if you've worked a long day and you're hungry, which is more appealing? Going home, getting the stuff out, fridge, getting all the things together, cooking yourself a meal, eating, and it's probably going to be better, better for you. Or the drive-thru, which is pretty much immediate. Not if you go to McDonald's, you're like an hour there now, so otherwise, other places. But you go to, you see what I'm saying? We like immediate. We, we go for the immediate, uh, quick satisfaction. And lying vanities are appealing to the flesh. Uh, but it's not always the best thing for us. Lies, it's, it's, a, it's a, an awful fact that lies are more attractive than truth many times. Winston Churchill said, a lie gets halfway around the world before truth has a chance to get its pants on. And how true that is. Truth, though, must guide our actions. Or we will forsake mercy and destroy ourselves. Truth and mercy are absolutely inseparable. Uh, listen to this verse, Psalm 85.10. Mercy and truth are met together. If we forsake God's truth, we're going to forsake God's mercy as well. That was the first declaration. The second declaration, maybe it was a sacrifice declaration. Look at what he says in verse 9. I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. Now there's two important features here in, jo in Jonah's sacrifice. There's a sacrifice unto God. You're never going to have a proper relationship with God unless you learn the place of sacrifice. There's two I want to look at really quickly. Sacrifice is, the, is essential for salvation. That's God's sacrifice. He sacrificed His Son uh, so that we might have salvation. Now, that's the most important relationship at all. And we're not going to have that relationship without recognizing and accepting His sacrifice on our behalf. But sacrifice is also essential for service. And uh, service is the, the theme of what Jonah is talking about here, sacrifice unto thee. Our sacrifice... Our service for God, I'm sorry, depends on sacrifice. But unlike salvation, service is chiefly man's responsibility, not God's. God provides salvation by his sacrifice. We provide our service to him by our sacrifice. And by refusing to go to Nineveh, 
Jonah had to sacrifice a few things. All right, let's just be honest. If he went to Nineveh, he had to sacrifice in the area of fear. Nineveh were not pleasant people. They put people's heads on spikes and they killed people. They were horrible, horrible people. Uh, some history suggests that Jonah's father was killed in a battle by uh, Syria, the Ninevites. And uh, so this, this was people that Jonah would have been afraid of and also his comfort and many other things. He would have had to sacrifice to go there, but he's not willing to do so, and so he runs. Unwillingness to sacrifice is one of the biggest hindrances to serving God. People just simply won't put themselves out for God. They do it if it's very convenient, but they don't want to sacrifice their comfort, their time, their resources, anything to serve God. Here, here you are on a Wednesday night. And uh, most of you work today, and you sacrifice to come here. It's a sacrifice of time. I get that. I understand that. And you could be home and you're a lazy boy, but you're here. And I think that pleases the Lord. I'm grateful for you. I really think that that's a blessing. It's also very revealing when people won't give to God. Uh, they'll spend money without hesitation on all sorts of things for themselves. When it comes to giving to God, they won't do it. They won't sacrifice that. And I ask you tonight... Are you willing to sacrifice for God? And one of the most convicting passages in the Bible is Luke 17.10. Um, understand where I'm coming from, but I hate this verse. But that's my flesh that hates it, okay? Not my spirit. So likewise ye, when you have done all those things which are commanded you, you're unprofitable servants. That's a hard verse to read. Jesus is saying, you've, once you do everything you're supposed to do, you're unprofitable. It's good that you did everything you're supposed to do, but you haven't made any gain yet. You've just done what you're supposed to do. For instance, that's why we call it tithes and offerings. A tithe is not an offering. That's what we're supposed to do. An offering is anything above the tithe, but a tithe is what we owe God. That's His. He's already said, that's mine. The tithe is His. And so uh, th this is a very convicting verse. We have done that which is our duty to do. We're unprofitable servants. That is a, that's something that has uh, always convicted me. Sunday morning Christianity. That's pretty easy. Traditional. We show up, we go to church, we get up. Church doesn't start that early. You know, we might be used to going to work at 8 or 7, but we go to church. It's not until 9.30, 10.30. We go to church and we go out to lunch afterward. It's our day off. It's easy. Um, and that's the, where many people look at the difference between the crowd tonight and the crowd on Sunday morning. That's just where many people reside, doing what's easy. Last Saturday, there was a football game. Um, it made me as a pa football, I, I have nothing against football, but as a pastor, there's a real strained relationship between me and football games. Because when I go to football games, especially when it's unpleasant weather, and I see what people will go through to sit and watch a football game, but how quickly they complain about this temperature being one degree off in church or something like that, it always just irks me a little bit. And so last week, the coldest day of the week was on the football game day, and that made me smile. I got a kick out of that. But I talked to a lot of people who went to the game, and they talk, I said, I bet you were freezing. Oh, yeah, it was, it was really cold. And I, and I asked every one of them, did you stay? Well, yeah, of course I stayed. Yeah, you would do it. That I mean, I'm, this is just something I'm asking for my own frustration. 
But one of her own had tickets. Jeremy had tickets to the game. I asked him if he went. He said, nope, it was cold. I stayed home and watched it on TV. It was warm there. And uh, yet, and I don't mean embarrassing, but even though um, he's so tired on Wednesday nights from a long day, he often stands so he doesn't sleep. He's here on Wednesday nights, every Wednesday night. It shows priorities, see? What are we willing to sacrifice to do? Football's great, that's fine, but I'm not willing to sacrifice two hours of cold to sit in football, but I will sacrifice sleep to go to church. You know what I'm saying? It shows our priorities. And so what we sacrifice for tells us where our priorities lie. And I think that that's uh, something that is clear for us to see. Sacrificing for God is an absolute foreign language for most people. And so I, 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 uh, I honor you for being here tonight and, and doing those things. Number, uh, secondly, sacrificing with gratefulness here. If we ever associate the giving of thanks with sacrifice, have you ever done that before? The sacrifice of thanksgiving. You know that term's in the Bible several times. It's a biblical concept. Uh, in Leviticus 7.12, they're given the instructions, the Israelites are, to give the sacrifice of thanksgiving. What is that about? Well, sometimes it costs to be thankful. Uh, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Sometimes that's not easy. It's easy to praise God when the bills are paid, you got a bonus, everybody's fed, everybody's happy and healthy, and everything's going great, and life's just cruising along. It's easy, but it's not so easy when you're sick. It's not so easy when you have uh, disease. It's not so easy when there's a crisis in your family, and then Thanksgiving becomes a sacrifice. But Jonah, I think it's interesting... Uh, I will sacrifice unto thee with a voice of thanksgiving. Of all places not to be thankful. I think Jonah had an excuse. But he says, I want to be thankful. And that's a blessing. The prophet Hosea, uh, <laughs> Jonah can't sacrifice. Like do an actual sacrifice here. He can't go to Jerusalem and offer a sacrifice. He's in the belly of a fish. He can't light up a match and burn a sacrifice in the belly of the fish. But he can do so with his voice. And Hosea 14.2 says, So we, will we render the calves of our lips. You know, when we can't actually physically sacrifice, last least we can do is praise God with our lips. Be thankful to the Lord that way. And uh, so we saw the seduction declaration, the sacrifice declaration, then number three, the sincerity declaration. This is a third declaration. It's about renewed dedication for serving God. He says, I will pay that which I have vowed. Now, it doesn't tell us what the vow was, but we can assume, I think pretty safely, God said, go to Nineveh. Jonah said, no, I'm going to go my way. God says, okay, we'll see about that. There's a storm. He gets chucked overboard. A fish swallows him up, and now Jonah makes a vow. What do you think the vow was? Probably, okay, I'll go to Nineveh. I'm guessing that's what the vow was. We can assume, because that's what he did after he got out. And uh, so he was sincere in it, and he kept the vow, by the way, if, assuming that's what it was. And our society today is just bent on vow-breaking. It just doesn't mean anything anymore. And uh, nations don't keep their words in treaties. Athletes don't keep their words in their contracts. Uh, there's just all kinds of, really in every area, marriage has almost become a mockery in our nation today. And those are important vows. Uh, so... Vow-breaking is nothing but lying, and so we need to uh, keep those, and Jonah was careful to do so. 
And then number four, the salvation declaration. Salvation is of the Lord. A short declaration, but has a lot of theology in it. The word salvation is from a Hebrew word, which is often in the Old Testament, interestingly enough, translated to Joshua. Uh, uh, And Joshua in the Hebrew becomes uh, Jesuus in the New Testament Greek, and Jesu in Latin, it's where we get our English word Jesus from. Jesus and salvation are inseparable. Can't separate the two. Jesus is salvation. And the word uh, Lord here, salvation is of the Lord, is uh, the original word is Jehovah. It speaks of Jesus because the Jehovah of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. Isaiah 43.11, I, even I, am the Lord, or Jehovah, and beside me there is no Savior. Talking about Jesus. Luke 2.11, and speaking of Christ, says, Unto you this is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior. Jesus Christ is our salvation. This is the message of the gospel found in the book of Jonah. Could we call it the gospel of Jonah? Kind of. That's the message is clear. Now, later we're going to get to his message. And I, as a preacher, am going to destroy his message because it was horrible. But we'll get to that later. Um, we, uh, When I was in Bible college, they made a big deal about how we make our outlines and how we put the message together, the the uh, this, this, the uh, general theme and all these different things that you put together, Jonah would have failed my class. But anyway, we'll get to that later. Um, men try to come up with all kinds of ways for salvation. Different religions leaves out Christ. All these efforts are in vain. Acts four twelve. There is neither is a salvation in any other. There is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. So, Jonah is an evangelical book. And uh, talking about the gospel here. Jonah's, these declarations of Jonah, though, certainly indicate that he's getting his fire back. He's getting his willingness to do what God is telling him to do. And it's a great lesson for us, as I mentioned last week. Why not just get to a place of obedience and yieldedness before we're in the belly of a fish? (laughs) You know, hypothetically speaking. Because he can put us in the belly of a fish. He can put us in a bad situation. So why not just get obedient before that? Because eventually, uh, the Lord has has a way of making it happen, getting us to where we need to be. The chastisement for Jonah has worked. All right, He is a changed man. He's ready to be God's obedient servant again. When he gets out, it is no longer about whether or not he likes Nineveh. It's no longer whether or not he's scared to go to Nineveh. He goes to Nineveh because he finds out that it's much easier to face the fears of this world and do God's will than it is to run from God's will to do whatever you want to do. Uh, chastisement hurts. It can be very severe. But its ultimate purpose is always to get us back on track, back to where we need to be in our Christian life. And no cost is too great if it results in getting back in a good relationship with God. So it's a, it's a great, it's a very short chapter, but there is a lot in the prayer of Jonah, which we've seen, we've taken two weeks to dissect it. There's a lot there and there's a lot of lessons for us. So hopefully that'll help, help you too. There's one other thing I want you to see. Um, On this last declaration, as soon as he made his declaration that 
Salvation is of the Lord. It's interesting to me. And the Lord spake into the fish and it vomited Jonah out on dry ground. When Jonah confessed this fact, his deliverance became a reality. Salvation is of the Lord. He under, there's nothing he could do. <laughs> nothing he could do to change his situation. Salvation is of the Lord. And then God came through. Uh, it's a perfect picture of what happens to the sinner when they confess this truth. It's when they realize their own inability. And not only for salvation, but for sanctification too. When we realize we do not have it in us, is all Him, that's when deliverance came. I think that's a good uh, way that that ends up. Thank you, Father, for this passage. We ask you to use it in our lives. Help us to constantly endeavor to 